Amen. Amen. Good to see all of you. I actually can see all of you this morning. I can actually see everybody. That's so cool. Second Peter chapter 3 this morning. Second Peter chapter 3 beginning at verse 14. We finish up our study of Second Peter today. And just a reminder that the book of 2 Peter has been all about encouraging Christians to spiritually grow, to make our spiritual growth the priority of our lives as Christians. And he's given us a lot of instruction and a lot of incentive and a lot of inspiration of why we should make our spiritual growth the number one priority of our lives. When we got into chapter 3 a couple weeks ago, he started to also bring in the subject of the end times and the return of the Lord. And he wanted to remind us that, you know, again, one of the, the greatest ways that we can be ready and prepared for the return of the Lord and, and to navigate the unique challenges that we will face as Christians in the last days is also through our spiritual growth. Remember, he shared with us a couple weeks ago that we're going to be living in a day and age where there's going to be mockers and scoffers who scoff at the fact that Jesus is coming back and that God will ever intervene or that things will change. And we have to be willing to live not only in that, but in a sense rise above that kind of mentality, if you will. And then last week, we looked at the fact that the day of the Lord is going to come and and God is going to dissolve this present heaven and earth and he's going to create a new universe for us to live in for all of eternity with him. And uh, I recognized last week, I I got a little excited, even more than normal. So I'm, I'm going to try to tone it down just a little bit this week. Although there's some exciting stuff in here too. So we'll see where it goes. Thank you. So... And, and, and as, as Peter ends this letter, this very personal letter from his heart and through the inspiration of the Spirit to his readers, he wants to make this whole idea of the return of the Lord and, and what's coming very personal to us today. Notice what he says in verse 14. Therefore... Based upon the fact that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth and that scoffers and mockers are going to come and all of this. He says, therefore, dear friends, since you are waiting for these things, strive to be found at peace without spot or blemish when you come into his presence. I want you to focus, first of all, on that last phrase of verse 14. That's what Peter wants to build everything around today in this last passage of Scripture in this letter of 2 Peter. Is us directing our minds to the truth of coming into his presence. See, he wants to make it personal. He wants us to think for a minute about what it's going to mean to us to literally come into the very presence of Jesus. To meet him. To see him face to face. What is that going to be like? Do we think about that? Do we allow that 
thought, that truth, that fact that one day it will happen to us, does that in any way impact the way we live, the choices and decisions we make every day? Does the fact of coming into his presence change the way we live our lives? Because Peter is saying to us, if you are a born-again Christian, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you have the Holy Spirit living within you, then there is coming a day in the future for you and for me where we will literally come into the very presence of God and we will meet him face to face. And John says, when we see him, we shall be like him for we will see him as he is. And Peter wants us then to realize that we should be living in such a way that we are always ready to meet Jesus. Are we continually living in such a way that we are ready to meet Jesus and see him face to face? Before he gets to that, though, notice in the first part of verse 14, again, Peter wants to remind us that God loves us. We just sang about it. A love that will not let us go. And that's why four times in this last chapter of Second Peter, where he's talking to us about the return of the Lord and the end times and all that, he also wants to remind us of just how divinely and infinitely loved we are. And not only does Peter want to convey and communicate that he loves his readers by using this term, but he wants to communicate to all who read this book that God loves them too. That's why four times in, in 2 Peter 3, he uses the phrase, dear friends, beloved, if you will. And he uses it in verse 1 of chapter 3. He uses it in verse 8 of chapter 3. He uses it here in verse 14. And he uses it once again in verse 17. Same Greek word, same Greek term, just translated in the net bible dear friends but it means ones who are dearly loved who are precious who are valued who are prized and again not just by peter but by god himself god wants us to know that one of the reasons he has planned for us to come into his presence and to in a sense live with him for all of eternity is because he loves us and that's why he doesn't want any to perish, as we talked about last week, but all to come to repentance. That would be God's desire because he loves us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God wants you to know today, my friend, that he loves you. And he wants you, like Paul, to learn how much he loves you through your spiritual growth. As Paul says to the Ephesians, he wants you and I to get to a point where we know the height of God's love for us. Where we know the depth of God's love. Where we know the length of God's love and the width of God's love for us. It is an infinite, unconditional love that God has for you. And as you navigate these difficult days, as you navigate the trials and challenges of life, he wants you to know you are never unloved by God. Never. 
Nothing can ever separate you and I, as Paul says in Romans 8, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. No matter what's going on in the world, what's going on in the universe, what's going on in spiritually, in the spiritual world, with spiritual warfare and the trials and all of that, we are always divinely and infinitely loved by God and God will bring us into his presence one day and will create this new universe for us out of his love for us. And the same love that drew Jesus Christ to lay down his life on the cross for us is the same love that will see us through every day of our lives on earth all the way through eternity. Dear friends, he says. With that, he says, since you are waiting for these things, Since you are anticipating, expecting these things to happen, including coming into his presence, Peter lays out four words that are really the key to unlocking this passage today for us. If you are a person that takes notes or does an outline or whatever, I'm going to give them to you up front and then we're going to go back and explore them a little bit in depth this morning. The first one is found in verse 14. It's the word strive. How it's translated in the Net Bible, strive. The second word is found in verse 15. It's the second word in regard. That's the second key word of the passage. Peter wants us to strive. He wants us to regard. In verse 17, he wants us to guard. And we're going to talk about what that means. And then finally, verse 18, this letter has been all about growth. And so he wants the lasting thing in our minds to be about grow, grow. So the four are strive, regard, guard, and grow. Let's go back up then to verse 14. Strive to be found at peace without spot or blemish when you come into his presence. The word strive means to make it a priority, to to give one's all. It's a word where we could translate it diligent. To be diligent, to be all in for something, to really focus on something. And Peter is saying, if I know I'm coming into the presence of God one day, if I know I'm going to see Jesus, the one who died for me one day, if I know what God has for me and I know how much he loves me, Peter says, shouldn't we be striving for a few things in our life? Shouldn't we be all in? Shouldn't we be giving our all and making, again, our spiritual walk with God and our spiritual growth the priority of our life? And Peter says, here's what we should be striving for. And it's very important in the word order that he uses or the way he lays it down. Notice the first thing. He says, we as Christians should be giving our all to be at peace. To be at peace. This is a word that speaks to the internal condition of a human being. It is defined as oneness. Wholeness. Which then brings about a serenity and a tranquility. More what we think of when we think of peace. You know, lack of uh, discord, lack of war, all that, you know. But that serenity and tranquility comes from the fact that we are one with something. In other words, like today, 
when a human being's not at peace, a lot of times they feel like they're being pulled in all kinds of different directions. And they'll even use that like, man, I, I'm, I'm all worked up and I'm all lathered up and I'm all upset and I'm all stressed out because I feel like my life is going in all these different directions and I'm being pulled in all these different directions. It's just the exact opposite of what this word peace means. A oneness. Where there's not a piece of me here and a piece of me there. There's a oneness to my life that brings about a wholeness and a serenity and a tranquility. And this is a theme that actually runs throughout the Bible. And yet it's very interesting that even today, many Christians... Because they're not striving to be at peace, they're not at peace. They're all churned up inside. They're restless. They lack stability. They lack any kind of serenity at all. They're certainly not experiencing the peace that passes all understanding because they lack this inner peace that only can be found when you and I make it a priority to be at peace, to be one inside. And and that happens, folks, in this way. Here's how Jesus put the same thing. Jesus told his followers, if you and I will seek first the kingdom of God, make His kingdom and His righteousness, the focus of our life, then all those other things that we allow to get us out of this condition of peace and oneness, they'll all fall into the proper place they should. But it comes from oneness. See, again, part of why we as Christians even don't experience peace is because we're really not one. We, we really haven't come to a place in our spiritual growth where we are, our priority is our relationship, our fellowship, our walk with God. That's not it. And then we wonder, why am I not at peace? Why am I always all churned up and restless and all this inner commotion and all of that? And again, that starts in here, in our heart, in our, in our soul, in our spirit. And that's why the word order here is very important. Because notice he says, strive to be at peace, then without spot and blemish. Those are the things on the outside that others can see. That's our reflection. That's our expression of our walk with God. And and what Peter is saying is, I will not be a proper reflection or representative of God in my life on the outside if I'm, first of all, not at peace on the inside. See, all I have to do is focus on being one on the inside with God and being at peace with Him And being content with Him and knowing that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He will provide and and be my all in all. And therefore then all the things that rob me of my peace, I don't allow me to rob me of that peace anymore. And therefore the decisions and choices I make every day, then they'll be a proper reflection of who I am on the inside. Because I'm at peace. And what I'm portraying to others 
then will be a proper picture of Christ and faith in Christ on the outside. The spots and blemishes will take care of themselves if I'm at peace on the inside. And so Peter is saying, Christian, you know you're going to see Jesus someday. You know you're going to be in his presence someday. You know he has this wonderful eternity planned for you. You know how much he loves you. So because of all these promises and all of this, make it a priority. Give your all to be at peace. To be one with him and all those things that rob you of peace and cause you and I to make decisions and choices that become hypocritical and lack integrity and all of that that cause the spots and blemishes on the outside will take care of themselves. And he adds, when you come into his presence. In other words, Peter's saying, don't you and I want to be in a good spiritual place when we come into his presence? Do we really want to be in a bad spiritual place? Do we really want to be very spiritually unhealthy and not in a good place when we see Jesus? Don't we want to be on top of our game spiritually and and be striving to be who God created us to be and all the potential that he placed within us that Peter's talked about in this letter? Then Peter says, here's our responsibility. These are all the things God does and God continues to do. What about us? What about us? Are we really all in with Jesus? Are we really seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? Are we really making God the priority of our life? And let's face it, one more thing and then I'll move on. I I don't think I have to convince anyone here that if we were objective and honest as we look around at the world today and the people who live in the world, whether you're Christian or not, there is a lack of peace in people's lives. There is a lack of peace in people's lives. You can just see it by looking in their eyes. You can see it by the way they drive on the highway. You can can observe it by the way they interact with their family, with their spouses, with their children, with their parents, with their friends, with their co-workers. You can see it. You and I can observe it. And God says, be at peace. Be at peace. And he gives us the way of peace. And then Peter says this. Then he says, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. We talked about this last week, but Peter brings it up again. By the way, the word regard here means to allow something to lead you and guide you. So Peter is saying, not only should we be striving, but we should be allowing this truth that he's about ready to share as something that leads our lives and guides us continually. And what is it, Peter? What should lead us and guide our lives continually? That God is being patient so that people can be saved. And the word patient here, as we looked at it last week, means to be willing to endure pain. 
Remember last week we talked about how Peter says, look, the reason why Jesus hasn't come back yet is because he's willing to restrain himself in the face of such provocation. So many people over the world who will basically shake their fist and say, there is no God, you don't exist, you'll never come back, all of this. God could set that all straight just by coming back and saying, I'll show you. But God restrains himself from all the provocation because he loves people and because he wants to give more people another opportunity to come to know him and be saved. And Peter's saying, so God is willing to endure pain every day. The pain of people who reject him day after day after day so that some can be saved. To endure the pain of a holy God looking down on earth and seeing all the hurtful, unbelievable things that those he created do to one another. Think about it. As we talked about last week, when the Bible says even one day is like a thousand years to God. One of the things that that means is that God experiences more in one day, one 24-hour period as God than you and I or any human being would if we lived for a thousand years. Because God is omniscient and omnipresent, he sees every act that happens on earth every day. He knows everything that goes on. And yes, there's a lot of good. But think about all the wicked, evil, cruel, hateful things that God sees every day. And it brings him pain to see what happens here. And yet, Peter says, he endures it because he wants to give some people a chance to be saved. And and I want you to expand your definition of salvation in the New Testament. Because most of the time, even when Christians read the word salvation, the only thing that comes to their mind is the day, the moment that someone accepts Christ as their Savior. But remember, the Bible teaches that salvation is in several tenses. It's not just limited to the time that one accepts Christ as their Savior. That's when someone is saved from the penalty of sin. But there is also the tense of salvation where we as Christians are being saved from the very power of sin. And that's also implied here. So in other words, he's also talking to Christians. He's saying, do you realize God is enduring pain so that you and I as Christians through him can begin to see victory and overcome and conquer some of these things that's got a grip and a hold on us that is destroying our lives and breaking our fellowship with God and with others. He's giving us time to repent and to get our lives right so that when he does come and we are in his presence, we then can be found at peace without spot and blemish. He's giving us time as Christians to get our act together. You see, and endure pain every day. And Peter is saying, Christian, may that truth guide you and lead you every day. Don't think of it, God, if you really do love me and care about me, why don't you come? He'll come in just the right time. But we ought to let this truth lead and guide us. God, maybe there's something you want me to change in my life. Maybe you're giving me time To get closer to you. 
Maybe you're giving me one even more day or one more week or one more month or one more year to experience who I really want am, who you really created me to be, that I'll begin to see the potential that you placed in me. And maybe you're giving me time to make you the priority of my life and to have a whole new life opened up to me. Peter says, let that truth guide you, Christian, every day and lead you. And then he goes on to say, as also our dear brother Paul wrote to you. I'll give you an example where Paul told the Romans, the goodness of God leads men to repentance. The goodness of God, not the judgment of God, the goodness of God. God is so good. And when when Christians even begin to understand how good God has been to them, Hopefully that brings about in them this this want to, this desire to say, God, I need to give you my all. Because you certainly give me your all every day. So then he wants to talk about Paul for just a minute. You know how we pastors and teachers get. We can get sidetracked real quickly. So I think Peter maybe got off here just a little bit, but not too bad. He starts talking about Paul and the things that Paul wrote. And he says, according to the wisdom given to him. Notice again, Paul wasn't wise on his own. The wisdom even given to the great apostle Paul was given. It was granted. It was a gift, just like the wisdom that God gives to us. And it's all available to us, too. In fact, James even says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you. And so he goes on to say this. Paul, verse 16, spoke of these things in all his letters. Some things in these letters are hard to understand. Thank you. (laughs) Folks, don't feel bad, even as Christians, even as growing, maturing Christians, as you read and study the Word of God, if there are some things hard to understand. They were hard for Peter to understand. They've always been hard for some of us to grant, and it's okay. We're talking about an infinite God. We're not going to be able to wrap our minds around everything. Some things we're just going to have to accept by faith. And we're not going to be able to totally get it all. But we should focus on the things that we do understand. And one of the things that Peter's implying here is... It's hard to understand, but not impossible to understand. Very interestingly, the words that he uses there is that if we would put forth some effort, we would understand more. And many Christians, the reason why they don't understand any more of the word of God than what they do is because they simply don't want to put forth the effort. Studying the word of God and getting into the original languages and and breaking out dictionaries and concordances and really digging is not easy. But it is absolutely rewarding. Oh my goodness. In fact, I got so excited I started to do a happy dance this last week when I discovered something and my poor wife's there like, okay, I guess he's going to be okay, but... Must just be him and God having a good time together, you know. But I hope I never get over the fact that no matter how many years I study the Word, that when I see something I've never seen before, it's like, God, thank you, that's so cool. How many times have I seen that or read that and I never saw that before? Thank you, God. Because this book is unending. And yet today, 
Should I say this? Now, sometimes restraint is good. Sometimes you can get Christians, Christians, I mean, genuine, real Christians, to pack out an auditorium for something entertaining. But if you just offered to Christians, Christians, you want to come and dig in and, and learn more of the Word of God? Chirp, 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 chirp. Why is that? Why as Christians can we pack out places and, and be all enthusiastic about some things, and yet when it comes to digging in and learning more of the Word of God, why is that not as exciting? I realize I'm warped. But I think that's like one of the most exciting things in, in my life is to be able to get into the Word of God and learn it. And so he says, some of these things are hard to understand. Things the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Instead of putting forth effort, these unstable, restless individuals take the word of God and literally dislocate it out of its context. That's what the word twist literally means. It's like the taking of a bone and literally wrenching it out of its socket. Peter says that's exactly what people do to the Word of God. They will, they will make the Word of God say what they want it to say to fit them rather than placing themselves under the authority of God's Word and letting God's Word speak to them. And they will twist it and turn it to use it for their own ends and to make themselves feel better. And yet Peter says the end is destruction for them. Everything that makes life worthwhile, everything that makes our existence as human beings worthwhile is gone when you and I start twisting the scriptures. It's not going to end well for those who dislocate, distort, and twist what the scriptures say. As they also do, Peter goes on to say, the rest of the scriptures. Verse 17. Therefore, once again... Dear friends, you are so loved, he says, be on your guard that you do not get led astray by the error of these unprincipled men and fall from your firm grasp of the truth. The word guard here, the third word, main word in this passage, strive, regard, guard, is a military term. It was used for soldiers that were on post, watching, protecting, vigilant. Not only were their lives in their hands, but all these other people's lives were in their hands too. And if a soldier fell asleep on their post and an enemy came in, a lot of damage could be done. And Peter is saying, and, and not to get too technical here, but this in the Greek language is in the middle voice, which means it is our responsibility to guard ourselves from error, from false teachers, from false... It's not other people's responsibility. We won't be able to stand before God and go, well, God, I would have been able to stay in a good spiritual place, but so-and-so, they didn't guard me very well. 
See, God is laying the responsibility of us guarding our spiritual lives on us. It's up to every Christian to be a vigilant sentinel, if you will. To be watchful. To make sure that nothing gets into my life that's not according to the truth. And notice Peter goes on to say that when we let go of the truth and pursue anything else other than truth, we're going to end up in a very unstable, restless, unsettled place. That's why he uses the phrase firm grasp. It speaks of a settledness, a a stability, if you will, a rest. And when we let go of truth to pursue anything else other than truth, then we're going to put ourselves in a really bad place. And think about it today, my friends. Think about maybe even another Christian that you know, even right now, who in their Christian life, they have let go of God's truth and they're pursuing primarily something else. And watch what begins to happen in their life. You will start to see all the byproducts of anyone who lets go of God's truth and pursues anything else. They'll be restless. They'll be unstable. They'll be unsettled. They won't be at peace. Because the only thing that brings about peace in our lives and stability and security and settledness is being willing to embrace the truth of God, both personified in Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, and the Word of God that is our truth. By the way, I'll throw this in. When the Greeks translated the Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. The word that they used to translate the Greek word for guard here was the same word all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, I think it's verse 15, that they used to translate the Hebrew word. When the Bible says that God placed Adam in the garden to care for And to guard it. Don't miss something here. Many people understand that one of the reasons why Adam came to be held responsible for what happened between Eve and the serpent was not only because he was the head, but because the Bible says he was right there the whole time and sort of overheard and saw the conversation between the serpent and Eve. But... You know what Genesis 2.15 teaches me? That even before we get to that, the reason why God held Adam responsible is because when God placed Adam in a perfect garden, he said, Adam, it is also your responsibility to guard this garden from something coming in from outside. Because there was nothing inside the garden that wasn't perfect yet. So Adam must have left that serpent come into that garden and shouldn't have. He forgot to be the watch person. He he forgot to be vigilant for a moment. And look what happened. He forgot to guard the garden that God gave him responsibility for. And that's why Peter says, 
Be on your guard, Christian. Because just the time you and I think, I'll never fall into error. I'll never be duped by a false teacher or false prophet or false teaching. Really? I think the Bible says, you know, if you think you're standing, maybe you should take heed lest you fall. Uh, There's another verse that says pride comes before a fall. I think we need to always be on our guard. If Adam, if Adam fell, if Adam couldn't guard, then we need to be all the more diligent to guard what God has given us and especially our own spiritual lives so that we don't let anything in to primarily influence us other than the truth of God. And then finally, verse 18, he says, but grow. And really, spiritual growth takes care of it all. Because spiritual growth will keep us striving. Spiritual growth will keep us regarding. Spiritual growth will keep us guarding. Grow, he says. Keep making progress in your walk with God. Keep increasing. Keep growing. Make spiritual growth the priority of our lives. And Peter adds, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why does he say that? Because grace reminds me I've got to be dependent and rely on the Lord to grow. I don't grow independent of God. In fact, a quick definition of sin is just independence from God. That's why Satan fell, Lucifer. He wanted to be independent of God. Anything independent of God is sin. When we are dependent on God, then we're good. When we're relying on God, we're on the right track. And the only way to grow is to depend on God and rely, because we can't do it on our own. No way. So every day we've got to wake up, God help me, give me the grace, give me the supernatural enablement and empowerment to be able to grow today and become more like your son Jesus. And just to see progress. Remember, it's never about perfection. We're never going to be perfect on this side of eternity, but we always could be making progress. That's spiritual growth. And then the knowledge, the word he uses here is a very important word. It means a correct accurate knowledge i can gain all kinds of knowledge but again if it's not right then that's not going to help my spiritual growth that's actually going to get me off track so i better make sure as a christian that i'm not only growing in depending and relying on god but that the growth that's happening in my life from a knowledge standpoint is absolutely right and correct that i'm getting it right More important for a Christian to get a few things right out of the Word of God than to, again, try to consume all of this Word and not get some of it right. Right, correct knowledge. And then he ends by saying, To Him, to Jesus, be the honor, the proper reverence and respect both now and on that eternal day. I like that because Peter's in a sense saying, look, I know in a sense eternity starts for the Christian the moment they are saved. But practically speaking, what he's talking about here of coming into God's presence and seeing Jesus face to face, I think that's the day. He's talking about the day that really eternity really becomes real to us. 
the day we come into his presence, are changed to be like him because we see him as he is, and then eternity really begins to unfold. And Peter is leaving us with those thoughts, again, as as powerful incentives and inspiration and motivation to make spiritual growth the priority of of our lives. Because he has told us here that one day, one day, every Christian is going to come into the presence of Jesus Christ. We are going to see Jesus face to face. I think the Bible teaches us very clearly that Jesus is going to have one-on-one time with every one of his children. Do you think about that? See, Peter says, I think it's good that we think about that every once in a while. That we think about what we want that to be like. And, And what condition we want to put ourselves in when we come into his presence. And so Peter is saying, strive, regard, guard, and grow. He says, when you see Jesus, it will be worth it. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Are you ready to be in his presence? Are you ready to meet Jesus? I hope so. Do you have a personal relationship with him? Do you know if you were to die today that you would go into his presence? Are you not sure? Let someone here at the Oasis show you from the word of God how you can know for sure that you will come into his presence. And Christian. Here's the cool thing. If you're not where you want to be or you know you're not where you should be, God's giving us opportunity to get some things right even today. Even to maybe make a decision right now at the end of this service that might take our lives on a different trajectory before He comes or before we come into His presence. Thank you, God. May we take this time in the next few moments to let the words of Peter sink into our lives and settle in. And if there's a decision or choice that we need to make, let's make it. Remember, folks, the hardest part of any decision or choice is that first step. It's the first step. I can remember sitting in a church and the pastor inviting us to come forward who wanted to accept Christ as, my, as their Savior. And as an 11-year-old guy out there, I'm shaking. I know I want Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need to know God. And I want to understand the gospel of what he's done for me and all that. But man, I was shaking as I was standing there during that last hymn. But you know what was weird? in such a cool way, as soon as I took one step out of that pew, see, I'm dating myself, as I took one step out of that pew and I came forward, it was like this peace came over me. Satan might want you to stay there. God may want you to come. And it's not even just about coming here. 
It's more important about what's going on inside here. Take that step today, my friend, towards Jesus. You'll never regret it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these powerful, relevant, timely words from Peter several thousand years ago to even us today. Lord, we need to hear these things. We need to be reminded of these things. Because even as Christians, we can go through days and weeks and even months and not even think about coming into your presence. Not even think about meeting you someday and standing face to face with you. Sometimes that doesn't enter our mind for long periods of time in between. But God, Peter wants us to know. Because he wants these truths to guide and direct our lives. He wants this truth to change us. And I pray, God, that The work that you have begun here will continue to work in all of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, folks, there are many weeks that go by at the Oasis. We don't give a public invitation or invite people to come, even though you're welcome to come anytime. But today, I'm just going to say, you want to come here and pray? You want to make the front of this school auditorium an altar where you and God meet and where you do business? You come on. Join me down here because I'm going to be down here as well as we sing that. This last song. Let's stand as we sing. If you want to come, if the Spirit of God is leading you, you come and join me here at the front this morning.